Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, which I moved out of when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for eight years and have two beautiful babies. Yes, we do. And today we have a very special treat. We are very excited to welcome a guest on our channel today, Caroline. She is actually from the Mennonite group, and we are very excited to learn from her a little bit more about the Mennonites today. Well, thanks for being here, Caroline. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I was so excited when you reached out and emailed us and we're sharing some of your story. And I was like, will you please come on so we can talk to you more? Because I have a million questions and it would take us like a year for me to email back and forth and have all my questions answered. So I really appreciate you being willing to come on and purely for my curiosity. Yes, <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there just like us that have a lot of questions as well. So. We're excited to uh, to learn more about you today. Thank you. I'm so excited to answer questions and like maybe um, disperse some stereotypes. So I'm really I'm so excited. I can't even. Fantastic. Yeah, it's always it's always funny how many stereotypes like people have with, without ever knowing anyone, right? Like, and so it's always great when you have a chance. Or I know the FLDS are so mysterious, and then when Sam shares, it's like oh that's kind of how I grew up like this. So it's kind of how I grew up like that. So there's always more similarities, I think, between all religions than what people realize and until you're willing to talk about it. I agree, definitely. And it's been amazing to see as well when we first put out a couple videos uh, about or reviewing the Mennonite groups. Uh, we don't personally know that much other than just the re reviews we've done or the, the little bit of research we have done. But mm -hmm. a lot of our viewers have commented and emailed us and know a lot about these groups. So, uh, you know, it seems to be a pretty well-known uh, community, the Mennonite communities. So uh, I guess may maybe I'm just learning a little bit later than uh, I wish I knew more, but uh, I'm excited to, to learn today. Yeah, yeah, I will say it's not um, totally unusual. I feel like the Mennonite and Amish communities generally tend to be um, more populated in the Midwest. I spent a very small amount of time living in like the southern region of the United States. And anytime I mentioned anything about Mennonite, they're like, what is that? And then I'd be like, oh, it's like Amish, but different. And then they'd be like, what is Amish? And I'd be like, oh, wow, this is like a learning curve for all of us. But yeah. Wow. I think a lot of people on the West Coast as well, like in Utah, I, there were a lot of people who wouldn't have known who the Amish or Mennonites were at all yeah. as well. There's not very many around here in uh, southern Utah and the Nevada area that I know of anyway. So so what, what, I guess the first question would be is what kind of Mennonite group did you grow up in? Because we have since learned after doing our video that there's a whole lot of different groups. Would you mind explaining and expanding just a little bit on what different groups there are and what group you were a part of? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of different groups. Um, there's what would be considered conservative Mennonite, which is um, generally speaking, women wear head coverings. Men um, traditionally have beards. They um, wear a certain type of outfit. Um, then there's like the, for lack of better term, like normal Mennonite. Um, secular I there's not really a term for it um that I'm aware of but basically women just wear normal clothes jeans um 
patterns are allowed. Um, and then um, I'm trying to think like how to explain it, but then there's like also like beachy Mennonite where they're less conservative in their clothing than super conservative Mennonite. Um, but there is um, a little bit of a divide there. So, for example, in my community, off the top of my head growing up, I think there were, oh gosh, at least five Mennonite churches um, okay. in my town alone that I can think of. And each one was just a little tiny bit different. Oh. Um, so I know like two off the top of my head, women wore head coverings. Usually um, it was like a little black doily, kind of like what you would see um, yeah. <laughs> on your grandmother's um, the coffee table. <laughs> yeah, like their dining room table or whatever. So they've had that on their head. Um, more conservative women would have like a full blown um, bonnet. Um, not as popular though. Um, and then less conservative midnight women would wear um, like usually like a simple shirt with a skirt usually like black was very popular and then um like tennis shoes and then um but and then sometimes dresses um you see those actually in my area still um like you'll see them going to you know typical stores like old navy gap marshall's whatever because they um still do kind of shop for normal clothes um that's like the more obvious differences I can think of. Theologically, um, all Mennonites and um, the Amish do kind of have similar backgrounds. So, for example, like Mennonites are Anabaptist, which is a type of Protestantism that um, emphasizes the personal choice of baptism. We do not believe in infant baptism or um, children being baptized super young. Like it, we believe it is um, a choice that a follower of Christ does. Um, and we believe that based on the um, like example of Christ where he got baptized when he was and about 30 years old and he made that decision no one made that for him and so that's where that belief comes in the baptism so can a child or a teenager ask to be baptized or do they have to be 18 and be uh, legally an adult to be able to make that decision yeah so younger kids can get baptized i think it does kind of depend on the church and the community um, I know that when I got baptized, I was actually on the younger side at the time. I was 11 when I made that decision. Um, but nowadays, I would, at least in my church, even though we're not Mennonite anymore, so we didn't do this until I was older. But we, in that, this current time frame, I am seeing children as young as like nine getting baptized. Um, not super young though and even when we do baptism 
it's not as simple as saying I want to get baptized and then like we go to a creek or a baptismal whatever and do it um we have classes that we go through just to explain the importance of baptism and what it means as a believer of Jesus Christ to be baptized we see that as like almost an initiation into the mission and starting um, your journey of being a part of the Great Commission of going out and spreading believers. Oh, wow. Interesting. So did uh, just a quick question here before we get uh, too far along. Um, you, you mentioned uh, the differences in, in the, um, the way they dress and that type of thing. So which, which, did you grow up in a more traditional group? Did you wear the bonnet or the, the traditional type of clothes? No. So, um, like I said, in my community, that was not uncommon. But at my specific church, that was already, like, kind of dying out by the oh. time um, I was going to the church. So, with my own personal background, um, I guess one thing I do need to explain is there's, like, Kind of like Judaism, how there's like a religious Judaism and then there's Judaism as a heritage. Mennonite is similar in that um, a lot of people um, come from like Dutch, Swiss, um, Swiss, German backgrounds. Okay. Um, and like they've been Mennonite for generations. Um, I was not that way. Our family joined the Mennonite church from a non-denominational church, actually, um, because oh. we had friends of this church, loved the theology and, um, like, the good people and how, like, how service-oriented the church was. Um, and I think, honestly, that would have been, like, the whole head covering thing might have been something that would have scared my parents away if my mom was asked to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, growing up, that wasn't a thing. So, Only, like, really older ladies did it. And now, you, like, in my church, I can't think of a single woman who has a head covering, actually. I was going to ask as well, when you say that there was five Mennonite churches and they were all, like, just a little bit different, um, did you get to pick which one? Or, like, people who are you born into it? I know you just said your family converted into it. Um, a lot of the people, are they just kind of born into a certain sect? Or is it like you get to choose? Or do you see people transfer from one to another easily? Or is it like once you've picked one, you kind of stay the course with that one? So with that, it kind of depends on your family culture, um, which sounds weird, but it does kind of make sense. So um, in my church, a lot of the people are related, like, I, I I sometimes joke like going to church is literally a family a weekly family reunion because ninety five percent of them are related. Right. Um, so it's kind of funny there, but um, part of it is like you go where your family goes, but there is also an element of if you feel for whatever reason like you want to try a different church, you can go to a different church. Um, the community in and of itself won't be upset. Your family might have personal stuff about that because they're like, well, you're going to a different church, but right. it, it doesn't really matter um, in the grand scheme of things to the majority of people. So you have options. If we had chosen to go to 
a different church, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. Um, actually, when our church was going through its transition, um, other churches in the area were also like going through similar issues um, mm. at the time. And so we did see a lot of like flip-flopping and switching around um, of congregations because we'd have like some people leave this church and then come to ours um, or leave ours and go to theirs. Um, so it's kind of funny because we just flip-flop for a while. Gotcha. Wow. But you said a lot of the core doctrine is the same throughout yes. the different branches, right? So it may just be the, like the dress and like the things that you're allowed to do, kind of more the rules rather than the doctrine that are different between congregations. Is that right? Yeah, dress and then also very specific beliefs about very specific issues. Like even though there are core things that um, are the same, like how... Okay, so a good example is like core doctrines that are the same, like Jesus Christ is the Son of God, He came, died, and rose again. Um, you're going to find that the majority of those Mennonite churches, I would count, go and say all of them. Um, yeah. What might be a little different is their approach to, um, like, say, the LGBT community, um, how they approach um, things like finances, um, the leadership might be different, worship might look a little different, like some churches have better <laughs> like musical worship than others in some people's opinion. So some people like look for that, you know, those little things that generally speaking, people look for in um, looking for different churches. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, it's similar with uh, through a lot of different Christian churches. You know, there are a lot of similar core doctrinal beliefs, but uh, just a little bit different debate depending on the denomination that you uh, attend. So that makes sense. I always think that's so cool because growing up LDS, like you're assigned based on where you live. Oh. You're assigned a specific time at a specific building mm -hmm. and there is no mixing up. Like, um, other than if there's like a special event at somebody else's ward, like if a family member's speaking in their ward, then you can go and attend that. But like, I couldn't regularly go attend a different ward. You'd actually get called in and not, That's not in wild. trouble, but they'd be like, what's going on. You need to be, it's a very big thing that you need to be in your specific congregation based on your location. It's very important. And even yeah. as like um, the young single adult wards, when you're like from 18 to 29 and you go and you just have church with other singles and even there, like that would happen all the time where people would try to go to church, even just with their friends, even though the entire church system itself was the exact same with every ward and was mm -hmm. done the same, you would try to go with your friends and like, you kind of get in trouble. Like everyone, you all need to be going to your own ward. You all need to be going based on wherever you were assigned. So the idea of getting to like go to different congregations and have it be different or be like, I like music. I want to go to that one. That sounds super fun yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. I find that so surprising. I can't imagine my church like being that controlling. My pastor, I can't even imagine him being like, is everything okay? Why did you go somewhere else? Like just, I find that so interesting. You mentioned pastor. So is that the, the leader of the congregation was referred to as a pastor? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I was going to ask that. Uh, and in your in that uh, place where you live, and there's these five different uh, churches, 
if one if someone from another group was walking down the street and saw one from a different church what was it friendly uh was everyone really close friends and kind of agreed that oh it's all similar and it's pretty much the same doctrine or or how how was that relationship between groups oh yeah like everything is super friendly um a lot of those people are extended family like super extended like think third fourth fifth sixth cousins so yeah that's super friendly or just like really good friends um i do live in a smaller community so a lot of people are related or a lot of people know each other through work and business um so yeah i mean nine times out of ten super friendly um no real big issues um, Good. Yeah. And uh, really quick, kind of back to where we originally started talking about. Uh, were you told why it was for for those that believed in wearing the head covering and that? Were Were you taught why that was asked of them or why it was important that they uh, followed that rule? Yeah. So if you look in scripture, I am blanking on the exact verses, but Paul does talk about. Um, how women need to cover their heads because they, um, the head of the household is the man, and then the man, um, the head of man is God. So, like, it's all about how it's a respect to God and a respect to um, men. However, um, that is also kind of a, um, the kind of theological debate there is whether or not. Paul was speaking from like a morality standpoint or um, from a cultural standpoint. Um, our personal conviction from my understanding, and this is at least my conviction, was that that had a lot more to do with the culture of the time and just respecting cultural norms um, far more than like a moral thing, like if a woman's head uncovered then she's like a disgrace to society or something so um but some people of course do believe still that that is a priority and head covering is a morality thing um so of course i'm not going to shame a person for doing that or choosing right yeah absolutely thank you we appreciate that because we've it's in a bunch of different uh, groups that we've kind of started looking into or seen videos and stuff, it's interesting to find a lot of the women have head coverings, um, mm-hmm. but every single group kind of has a different answer. I really like your answer. And it's really interesting to see like the comparisons to the answers of why they're told. Like which which group was it? Maybe it was the Hutterites. The Hutterites, I believe. There was a group that when they were asked like in a documentary and she was like, I don't know. We yeah. just are told to do it. You know, it's like pure obedience. So it is cool that you got more of an answer than that, that there was actually a, a, a scriptural reason behind mm-hmm. it. At least I'm the type of person where I'm always like, why, why, you gotta why? Have, you got to have something <laughs> backing the reason up, right? Exactly. <laughs> so. Well, and I'm always the type of person, especially when it came to theology, I always wanted to know the why. So I was the person who would search those answers out. Like, why does that matter? Does it really matter? And then, you know, yeah. Yeah. So you said that your family found this specific group later and converted. How old were you for that? And what was that like for you? Oh, gosh. I was young. I was, 
a year and a half, two years old when we made that transition. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so you grew up your almost your entire life with it. Exactly. So like I just grew up like identifying as Mennonite in a lot of ways. Like even though I knew I wasn't culturally Mennonite, like I believed in a lot of the principles. I still do. Um, I like what Mennonites have like a very specific type of food, like comfort food. And oh, I love the food. Um, we have a local restaurant here that, oh, the food there is to die for. Like, I'm just thinking about it now and I'm really hungry. Okay, wait, give me some examples. I want to hear yes. what, what kind of food. What kind of food? And I was love it all, food. Was it all homemade, <laughs> I assume? Or what was that like? Okay, so good, good example is like chocolate peanut butter pie. It is like this um, chocolate pie, like pudding pie. And then like they take peanut butter and like kind of turn it into, I want to say they use some sort of graham cracker maybe. I don't know exactly how this is done, but they like um, roll that in the cracker and like sprinkle it up on top and put it in the middle. And oh my goodness, it's amazing. Oh, that sounds so good. I'm hungry now. That sounds great. <laughs> I know. And then... There was, this is a funny story. So, um, Amish peanut butter, my Amish have like this stereotype of being like super healthy because a lot of them are very thin because they work outside a lot and are in construction a lot of the time and, um, are much more agrarian. <laughs> um, so my mom like got into this habit of eating a lot of Amish peanut butter because a friend made it. And she's thinking like, oh, this is healthy. It's fine. It's Amish. And then she started noticing she was actually gaining weight from eating this. And so she went to the friend's daughter and was like, hey, how does your mom make this? Like, what, what are the ingredients? And one of the main ingredients was marshmallow fluff. Really? <laughs> that yes. does sound good, though. Oh, my it's word. Very, so they make oh, very, so very creamy. So, wow, so growing, that makes sense why it's so good then, right? Yeah, <laughs> growing up, my mom, um, she would make a peanut butter and marshmallow fluff sandwich. Mm. Yeah, on just like good old white bread, right? Like <laughs> mm. white bread, peanut butter was like fluff on the other, and it was so, so good. And so I'm like, I can already like imagine what what that mixture tastes like because i think that's kind of what was on my sandwich <laughs> i have a, a kind of a random question but because you brought up the uh, amish i assume people want to know i want to know growing up mennonite what did you think about the amish were they were they the, the crazy people over there that are living a different way or were they just like you know that those are cousins practically like what what was that like the, the view on the amish a lot of times, for a lot of people, they are cousins, actually. So a oh. lot of Amish and Mennonites are related. Um, if a lot of Amish, if they choose to leave um, the Amish lifestyle, become Mennonite. It's like kind of a segue in some ways. Because um, the Amish are a lot more strict in a lot of things, right? They like are. So, use of technology okay. and stuff. Yes, use of technology. Um, and then also... They have a different government system in some ways. So in the Mennonite church, the pastor and like the elders don't really have a dictate on your life and your community as much. 
oh. um, with the Amish community, that's very different. Like each very church strict. is like its own town and government system and kind of has its own rules. And this is speaking generally. I'm not Amish. I can't speak fully on their behalf, but that's the gist of it. Um, and I'm sure like there will be a, a former Amish person who will correct me on here, but basically <laughs> um, what it boils down to is with Mennonites, generally speaking, the pastors don't have nearly as much um, control over their congregates' personal lives and like rules as Amish bishops do. I see. So Sounds kind of like FLDS, you're the Amish, the LDS are the Mennonites, and when you go from FLDS to LDS, you feel like it's like I, a huge like, I felt, liberation. I felt like right? I had all the freedom in the world going <laughs> from something so extreme as the FLDS, so I wonder if that's, like you say, similar. It probably feels similar for people, like you said, if they're leaving the Amish and then they go to being Mennonite, they probably feel a sense of a lot of freedom. There is. Well, and it's also kind of does depend on the Amish group because there are some groups who are a lot more limit, um, liberal about technology than others. Oh. Um, like one thing about the Amish, at least in my area, generally speaking, is that they're very business. There's like a big gap between how they conduct business life and how they conduct um, personal life. So more technology is allowed when it is required um, for the success of a business. Oh, um, I see. And but there is like generally speaking a pretty firm like there's business and there's your personal life. You can have like for example they may have like a cell phone for work purposes, but they get home that cell phone is not what's going with them. Um, Sounds familiar, huh, babe? Yes, it does. <laughs> So, uh, so as far as, uh, because some of these documentaries we have seen about the Mennonites, actually, uh, that they, they were, they wouldn't drive their own vehicles, but it was okay to ride in a vehicle as long as they weren't the ones driving. Was that you, the case that you grew up in as well? Or did you have the vehicles you wanted? Yeah, we, um, I can't think of any church in my area that would have had that rule. Maybe one, but yeah, my area, like, we all drove cars. My dad is a car lover. His dad was a mechanic. He's a mechanic. Okay. Both my brothers love cars. Like cars are a part of our heritage in some ways. So <laughs> um, that, that explains then why so many people commented after we we uh, did a review on that documentary, saying that uh, that was a very unique group of Mennonite. <laughs> yes. All Mennonites are not like that at all, and that, that that's good to know. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of news to me. I guess we need, I guess there's a, a lot of groups that are completely different from they that. Are. Um, you see that more with Amish, for sure. Like in in our area, we, we know when it's an Amish group because there will be like, um, like a particular white van that you see and you'll see all these women in their bonnets and then these men with their beards and they're like all piled up like, 12 of them in this one van um, driven by someone who very clearly does not look like them. Um, and so, yeah, um, that's in my area at least more common of the Amish than of the Mennonite 
I will okay. say that like with more conservative midnight groups that you that would be the case. Um, I see a lot of more conservative Mennonite women like like fully decked in their dresses and then riding bikes and I'm like power to ya. Yeah. <laughs> I know how that feels. I would see the women in the FLDS community even swimming. They would be fully dressed in their dresses, everything, braids in their hair. So <laughs> So some people take it to an extreme. <laughs> so what was a typical church service like? What was what did your day look like on a Sunday? Um, so we go in and we have Sunday school. Um, children are divided by grade or age group. Um, and then up until middle school, then we had like our own middle school group and then high school group. Um, and then adults kind of had their choice of what Sunday school services they chose to go to or Sunday school classes. Um, there are some things that are divvied by age group a little bit, like if the class is specifically concerning like what it looks like to be getting older, then maybe older generations will gravitate towards that. Um, if we're doing particular studies on um, like books of the Bible, you'll see people from a lot of different age groups together on those. Um, and then after Sunday school, which is about an hour, we'd have um, service where everyone gets into the sanctuary. Um, we start with some music. We do announcements, prayer requests, um, um, and then ties and offering offerings where we pray over those and just generally pray um more music like three or four songs um and then when we're done we go into sermon time and um that whole um sermon and like sanctuary church service um process is about an hour to an hour and a half and then and everyone, a lot of people, um, I know in a lot of churches, it's not uncommon, like service ends and everyone just heads out the door. In our service, we'll have like people slowly leaving, but more often than not, we have a lot of people who are talking afterwards, getting to catch up on each other and like, be like, how's your sister doing? How's your daughter doing? Do you need this or that or the other? Um, what events are going on um i used to um my little brother and i used to get so frustrated with my dad because he would <laughs> talk and talk and like talk so long that the lights would be turned off like after <laughs> and he'd still be talking to a friend and we're like dad it's lunchtime we're hungry we are starving we are going to yeah. die <laughs> we, we, I joke all the time that my dad is going to like pause the rapture because Jesus is going to be up there like it's time to go it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I can imagine it was a, a, an opportunity for the community to catch up and uh, like you said it was almost like a family reunion once a week yeah. because everyone knew each other or were related 
Um, so back to your service. Uh, so after Sunday school, y'all meet for your main service. Was there a lot of music and singing or, or was it just because uh, I know that some groups we heard anyway, some groups didn't use instruments like a piano and it was just the, the this, you know, singing acapella. Was that what was it like in your service with, with the singing? In our service, there was instruments. I think I'm not for sure on this, but I feel like when our church was like back in maybe the 60s, 70s, I could be wrong here. There was a debate on whether or not instruments were allowed. Um, we do have hymnals and every so often we'll pop them out and use them. We don't use them very often though. Um, majority of the time it's with instruments. I'm sure there are churches that don't use instruments, but the majority of the ones I can think of do. Guitar and other instruments like beyond just a piano or an organ? Yes, yeah, we don't have an organ. We would we just have a piano, guitar, drums, bass, like Oh, you're um, having you're having a good time in there, it sounds. Mm -hmm. I'm jealous. <laughs> I grew up with just piano or organ. Piano or organ, that's it. Sometimes someone would get to bring in a violin and we yeah. were excited for that, but that was about it. There was no no guitars, no one time my brother did get permission. Oh, really? to play guitar. I think it was at his homecoming from his mission, but it was a huge deal and it had to be acoustic and very soft. Yeah, oh, very wow. rare. So very, very rare. It had to always be very, very um, solemn, very reverent music. The, the idea of having drums in church is just out of this world. <laughs> it excites in my me. Mind. I feel like we need to go, we need to go and experience, experience that. that. Yeah. yeah. Neither one of us live stream every week. I can send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Seriously, I'm like I need to. Ex I I love music, and I yeah I feel like I would totally dig. We, we in missed out on drums. some of the exciting music. Um, so oh go ahead. Oh sorry, I had a question about the the sermons. So were the sermons always given by the pastor, or did members of the congregation give sermons as well? Um. So with the sermon, mainly the pastor. Um. Right now we have a larger church, so we have four pastors now. And so um, some um, we have a main pastor who does the majority of the sermons, but sometimes our other pastors will teach. Um, so every so often we'll have guests come in who speak um, on what's going on in their um, world. Like every so often we'll have some guest pastors come in and speak or um we send out a lot of missionaries, so if they um, come back, sometimes they'll give like a whole sermon, like on their experience in the mission field um, and what was going on. Sometimes we'll just have a little, like, ten-minute thing where missionaries will come and discuss what's going on with them. Um, okay, so I have a lot of questions about missionaries now, but, <laughs> but before we get to that. To, to stick with the, the, the meeting here, I just had a question. Did you partake of the sacrament or the breaking of bread and wine, any of that kind of thing? Yes. So, Or I, say, I, I guess I should say, do you? Or did you do you? Either way. <laughs> yeah. So we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, which is like a piece of bread and grape juice. We don't do wine um, okay. or water. It's grape juice for us. Maybe somewhere they do water or something else. I don't know. That's just what we do. Um, we don't do it every time, 
um, every sermon. We try to keep it, um, our church, it's very important to keep communion special. So we call it communion. We okay. do not see it as a sacrament or like a requirement for salvation necessarily as much as a very, very important symbolic gesture showing how much God loves us and how important it is to remember the sacrifice that Jesus um, took for us. And so we don't believe in things like um, transubstantiation. We don't believe that it actually becomes like the blood and um, and body of Christ. We just believe that it was a good way to remember the sacrifice that um, Christ did for us and um, like how much God loves us. Oh, okay. I like that. Very cool. So, uh, well, thank you for answering that question. And uh, now to the missionaries. Wait, wait, wait. I have one more question about four missions. Sorry, okay, I'll great. make it fast, no, though. Go ahead. Okay, with four pastors, when you say you have a large church, about how many people is that? 400, 500 per service. Okay, wow. Okay, yeah. that's all I was just trying to like wrap my head around. That is a lot. Comparing, obviously, to, to myself and what a congregation looked like and how many people were in church and stuff. So I was just curious. You yeah, know, that's such I a relative number. Too. So um, I, growing up, I would say it was closer to 200, 300, which is still sizable. But now, um, in recent years, we've seen a lot of growth and been really blessed by that. And plus, like, our church takes be fruitful and multiply very seriously, so we have a lot of children. Okay, okay. so I'm guessing no contraception. Um. Oh yeah, we definitely like believe in that. And um, oh, okay, but just encouraged to have bigger families. That's how it is with the LDS. Like you can have contraception, but definitely encouraged to be fruitful. To have yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. And like we definitely like one thing that's very common in our church is um, adoption and fostering. Um, that's just something that's always been modeled in our church. It's not necessarily like a requirement or anything, but it's a lot of people do it. And so, um, we've always seen like, even if you don't have the ability to have kids, um, you can adopt or we have a lot of people who have their own like biological children and then later on choose to foster and adopt, um, so we have a lot of um, kids coming in that way too, which is great. That's awesome. And is, the, is having lots of children more traditional or doctrinal for you? More just traditional. Um, okay. You know, back um, a lot of Mennonite and Amish background was very agrarian and agricultural, like working farms and all that. So. Um, people had a lot of children back then because you need a lot of help. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> now I would say like we have, um, like people will have three, four, five kids because that's just what you do. Some people have more, some people have less. I have none, like, and don't plan on having any. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's always like whatever God blesses you with and calls you to do, like, is up to you and between you, God, and your family. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of, like, traditional to have. Okay. Like, cool. okay. Yeah, like you said, Melissa, that sounds similar to, like, the LDS. L- LDS, the LDS yeah. they adopt. I mean, they had their own adoption agency for a very long time as well. Mm. So very big into adoption and 
all that good stuff. But anyway, I'll let you get to your mission questions because okay, I know you have a lot. <laughs> well, first of all, I had no idea that the Mennonites or uh, I don't know about Amish either, if there are missionaries. I didn't know anything about the missionary work. So I would just love to hear more about what that entails. Is it required? Is it just uh, something you volunteer for? What is what is missionary work? Do you look move like? away? Is it local? Yeah. 